Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the State of Innovation podcast powered by the Illinois Science and Technology Coalition. I'm Matt Bragg, director of ISTC. Uh, we have a great interview to get to for this episode, um, but before we do that, I want to thank everyone who attended our R&D Index uh, and Researchers to Know event last week. Uh, for those that missed it, uh, we were able to release new data on the state's R&D landscape, uh, as well as name our Researchers to Know in 2020. Um, the virtual event last week um, covered the new data, and we also heard from uh, 10 of our researchers to know that really represent innovation happening on campuses across the state. Um, so I want to thank uh, all the researchers who presented at the event last week, um, as well as Sterling Bay, who supported this year's R&D Index uh, and our event. So if you missed any of uh, the R&D Index or our Researchers to Know releases last week, um, you can head to our website, istcoalition.org slash data to check those out. Um, there you can also find a, a recording of the event uh, if you're interested in that as well. So with that, I want to get to our interview for this episode. Last week, my colleague on our institute team, Sarah Perey-Galyubov, was able to sit down with Gail Rost and Kendra Winecki from the Siebel Center for Design uh, at the University of Illinois for a conversation that really touches on a lot of, of great topics, including design thinking and human-centered design and, and how those concepts can really shape the way that we approach problems and, and challenges in our work. So with that, I will turn it over to my colleague, Sarah. Welcome to our viewers. Good afternoon. Thank you so much for joining us. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Sarah Perey-Galyubov. I am a program manager with the Illinois Science and Technology Institute, and I am very lucky today to be joined by Gail Rost, an SCD scholar, and Kendra Winicky, who is the Associate Director of Business Development and Advancement, both from the Siebel Center for Design. And we're just going to jump right into our interview today. For our viewers who may not be familiar, can you tell us a bit about the Siebel Center for Design? What is its role in, at the University of Illinois, and how does it function? Yeah, sure. Uh, so Siebel Center for Design is a new multidisciplinary hub for creativity and innovation on the University of Illinois campus here in Urbana-Champaign. Um, so the center is a place where students and staff and faculty and community members can come together to learn, practice, and apply design thinking and human-centered design. Um, so we teach classes, we conduct workshops, we develop trainings in design thinking and how to apply it to a variety of problems or courses or experiences or services. And we also uh, take on projects with both internal and external partners. Um, and when our building opens, our physical space opens later this fall, we're also going to have a maker space with 3D printers and wood shop equipment and sewing machines and things for prototyping and all of that, um, as well as several collaboration studios, classrooms, a media space, and a cafe. So it's a very multidisciplinary, multi-use space, um, and our programming is multidisciplinary and multi-use, as is our team. Um, and we are pretty unique because we serve the entire University of Illinois community, um, which means we work with nearly all of the uh, uh, all, all 16 colleges on the University of Illinois campus, excuse me, um, as well as many interdisciplinary research institutes and centers, and of course with external partners such as ISTI. So. That's a great answer, and I love how succinct it was, purely because you said cafe, and that catches my interest as a food lover. I'm going to jump around. 
<laughs> I'm going to jump around just a little bit to focus a bit more on the building itself. Um, so the building that houses the Seville Center for Design is beautiful. And as you mentioned, there are a lot of different facets to it because you are so focused on that human-centered design, was human-centered design factored into the creation of the physical space? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I cannot speak for the architects, <laughs> but I do know that we have a team hard at work um, and they've been hard at work for the better part of the last year, just focusing on just the user experience of the building. So even though our programming and our courses have been ongoing for the better part of uh, the past two years, even without the building. Um, once we get into the building, we're thinking about everything from, you know, how how people might enter and exit to how they might use our facility to how they might use our tools. Um, and that's, you know, thinking about every uh, just the design curious and experienced people all the way to professional designers and engineers and everyone in between. And so we have put a lot of thought and we'll continue to put a lot of thought um, into how we've designed our programs and our engagement opportunities to be welcoming and accessible and extremely user friendly and to also just meet the needs of our immediate community um, uh, for everyone that we work with. Something that I love that you kind of just touched on that I'm sure we'll circle back to several times in this conversation is designing both for someone who might not consider themselves a designer and designing for somebody who's interacted with this, made this part of their work, their professional life. Uh, and with that in mind, I'm actually going to skip over to you, Gail, for a second um, to ask about the path that led you to this position at the Siebel Center for Design. And what is your kind of professional experience here? Oh, well, I, I have a, a long and varied career in my path, but um, I'm trained as a designer. Uh, I have a couple of different degrees in design, landscape architecture and graphic design. But I'm, I'm here now as um, actually a full-time graduate student in art education uh, because I'm very, very committed to the process of teaching graphic design, or excuse me, design thinking, which includes graphic design. I um, am committed to this because I believe that it's um, a, an excellent strategy for um, helping uh, both adults and youth uh, learn uh, ways to think that allows more opportunities for them. So that's what I'm really excited about. Um, here at Siebel, I am what's called a research assistant. And so I help not only in um, designing opportunities for uh, professional development education, but also in our assessment team and working on research. So it's a very exciting opportunity for me. And, and yet again, another iteration on a career. So mind <laughs> <laughs> <Design> thinking life. <laughs> Excellent. And then Kendra, I'm going to throw the same question your way, um, purely because we know that most career paths are nonlinear and you can end up in the same space doing similar work with completely different paths. So why don't you tell us a bit about your experience as well? Yes, I'd love to talk about my nonlinear career. Um, I <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm not a designer and my role at Siebel is not to be a designer either. So I am our, our external engagement director and, and things like that, which I, which I absolutely love. But I, I am a trained opera singer and worked in the creative arts nonprofit sector for a long time as, as a performer and an educator and then eventually an entrepreneur, um, which sort of led me to working in advancement at fundraising um, at Florida State University first. And so when I moved back to Illinois, last summer um, after being gone for 15 years, I was looking for a role that 
was sort of the intersection of my professional skills as a fundraiser and then my background in the arts and in the creative industries. And so this job was a really good fit because it sort of hit all those notes for me. And it's really, really cool to meet people like Gail and, and get to build something from the ground up because I don't know how many times in your life you get the opportunity to do that. Yeah, what a unique opportunity. Yeah. I, I love starting with I am not XYZ. I am not the label that you might think of. It's something we try and steer our students away from too, because while they, for example, might work with Allstate and they might expect, you know, to be working with insurance agents, they find themselves working with designers, working with engineers, working with marketing officials, whatever it might be. And I myself was an English and classics major. And when I tell people I work in the science and tech space, when I tell people who knew me in college, they're always like, are you sure? Are you <laughs> Uh, so starting with, I'm not a designer, but I work in this design space is huge. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of design, um, <laughs> design thinking and human centered design are often mentioned kind of in the same breath. But as you both know, from working in the space, they're quite different. They're quite similar. They work in tandem. Uh, what is human centered design? What is design thinking? Let's start there. <laughs> All right. I'll take that one on. Um, <laughs> Okay, so let's let's break this into parts. Uh, you know, so I'm going to talk about what design thinking is. I'm going to talk about what human-centered design is, and then I'll talk a little bit about how they connect. Um, so, design thinking is actually kind of a fancy name for thinking through a problem. That's that's really all it is. It's a process. Um, now, it's it's can be uh, very involved. It can be very simple. But it's probably best thought of as a way to sort of work through um, an unknown to a known. So what we want to do is think of the fact that what a lot design thinking allows us to do is to start an inquiry or start a question without knowing the answer. It's it's an opportunity you not have to know the answer before you start to think about a problem. In fact, part of the process is that we need to discover the problem sometimes. You know, we're, we're in, we encounter opportunities and think, well, wait a minute, what does this mean? How can we do that? How do I get started? Design thinking allows you to do that. So when you, when you start not already knowing the answer, there are so many opportunities available because you don't have a preconceived idea of what might need to happen or how it should happen. So design thinking is this process that has some clear steps uh, and those steps allow us to combine it then with human-centered design. So now I'll talk a little bit about human-centered design. Human-centered design is an approach to designing that requires designers to consider human needs and human um, desires, human, challenges. So so at the center of human-centered design is the human. So it requires to us to really think about humanity and whether the solution is the best for that person who, or the group of people or what we might call the stakeholders or you hear tech people say the word users. Um, so how do these two things connect? Well, we have this approach, which is human-centered design, thinking about humans and what we make and what we have. And then we have a method that allows us to then use this approach. So these, these steps 
um, as part of design thinking, get us on our way to employing human-centered design. So that's how those two things are connected. Um, the first step of, of human-centered design and design thinking is understanding. So unless we take time to understand what it is we're trying to actually solve and who we're trying to solve it for, um, we're going to be pretty limited in our solutions. So those are how those two things connect. Um, I've always got a lot more to, that I can say about that, but I'll wait and see what the rest of your question is. <laughs> uh, I, I love that part about requiring you to really think about humanity. Uh, I think that we've all been discussing bringing multiple voices to the table and how that can just improve your solution, improve your workforce, improve whatever it might be. Um, and I think that human-centered design, because it has that diversity built directly into it, is a big part of the changes that we're seeing now. Yeah, by, by its very nature, it's pluralistic, right? I mean, yeah. it, it requires group collaboration. And the more differences there are with people and what they bring to the table, the richer the design is going to be. We need um, all kinds of thinkers. So when you were describing in your introductions, I'm not this, yeah. well, that's key. And we're really glad that you're at that table because mm -hmm. we don't want all people that think just alike sitting at a single table making decisions. So, so that is embedded in the idea of human-centered design. And design thinking then becomes a method on how to do it. I think that's a great way of saying it, pluralism, keeping that at the heart. Yep. Speaking of those specific perspectives, um, for our high school students who ISD, ISDI works with, who might not necessarily be doing high level research or participating in engineering courses, which might be stereotypically what we think of as the human-centered design process or where those are engaged in typical coursework at the high school level, how is design thinking relevant to high school students? Well, I'll tell you what, remember that design thinking is a process, right? So, so it, it's a process that can be applied to almost any kind of problem, from developing a grocery shopping list to figuring out how to take water from a distant well to a village home. But for a high school student in particular, if we put it in their context, I, I was, actually, I wrote some notes because I thought, how do, how do I put this in a high school's uh, high school student's life? Um, I've had high schoolers. So the one that I came up with was how do I get up in the morning? Um, mm -hmm. And this is a problem that actually is pretty well suited to design thinking because in order to move forward and learn about the solution to that particular problem, you have to understand how you feel, right? So you can use design thinking even for yourself and you can use it with a group, you can use it with people who've never met. But for a high schooler, it can be very relevant to figure out how, how you can solve the problem of not being able to get up in the morning. Um, but one, one key part of that is that first step in the design thinking process, which is understanding. So if I were a teacher and I wanted a student to figure this out, I would say, all right, pretend I'm a student the first step to take is you need to understand the situation, right? Who's involved? Is it just you? Is it members of your family too, or a roommate or a pet or the people next door? Or maybe you need to get up earlier than everybody else or later. There's a whole set of questions that as a student trying to figure this out, you might want to ask. And then you think those through and you ask other people. 
You want to get their ideas about what they think might be um, the situation around not being able to get up in the morning. And then you look to see the answers that you've accumulated from yourself and from others, and you start to look for patterns. And when you look at those patterns, maybe you learn something or get what we call an insight. Maybe you understand or come to see that you want, you count on your mom to wake you up in the morning because that's the way you get to see her. Or maybe you find out that you're on your own in the morning every day. And so you count on yourself to get yourself out of, out of bed and, and over to school. These, this, this thing about waking up in the morning, you need to learn about and you need to understand it and you need to put it in a context. So, so it's important that you understand hmm, what fixes might work, what might not work. You put it in the context of the way you live. Now, you know, if there are all these things that you can do to make a difference, to change or address how you do or don't get up in the morning. The point is, is that you try something out. If it doesn't work, you try again. And eventually you might come up with a better solution. The solution will be better if you involve others. You can do this for figuring out your sports schedule. You can do this for choosing which college you might want to attend. You start to look at the problem in terms of the context that you're in. And then you involve others and get others' points of view. And you take a moment to understand and use this process to move yourself through. Um, it can be simple, it can be complicated, but it, it can work. So for a high schooler, regardless of what your goals are, you can use it in your everyday life and you can use it to solve some really hairy problems. Um, it works out great for social life too. Like if you've got friends and challenges, you can start to really break it down. <laughs> Actually, it's funny you said that. I was at a baby shower this weekend and my mom and her friend were hosting the shower and they couldn't figure out where to put the present table and where to put the diaper table. And they were going back and forth because it was all outside and we were trying to keep everyone safe and socially distant and they were going back and forth. And finally went outside and I said, mom, we can solve this problem with design thinking. Exactly. Grab the, grab the present, try and walk through the house and see what the natural progression of things are so that we know where to put the tables. And exactly, use our experience. <laughs> exactly. So I think where people kind of get stuck sometimes is even the word design. Because, um, and and I, we may get to that later, but there's this idea of the big D design, right? I mean, it's, it's really pretty scary stuff. And then there's this other idea of a designer who's going to be a fashion designer or an interior uh, designer. And those take skills that, you know, most people don't have. And so the, the word design can be intimidating. But if you back away from that word and just think of it as, gosh, you know, you, you use design thinking in everything you do, and most likely, like I said, even when you're trying to figure out what you're going to order when from takeout, right? You got to think, what do I want? Or, you know, you know, does, does Billy like that? I mean, you know, so you go through those processes. It's design thinking. I think that's great. And I think that pulling it out of the classroom and into the real world is so huge. Oftentimes we tell our students, this is a real world problem. And you hear that all the time when you're going through the school system, right? Like once you get to the real world, X, Y, and Z will be the case. And the truth of the matter is students are living in the real world every day because in addition to being students, they're individuals, athletes, uh, children, whatever it might be. 
uh, and they have these multifaceted uh, identities, personalities, characteristics. So it's not that human-centered design is necessarily in every classroom, though it could be, it's in every aspect of their life and they can apply it with or without the quote unquote engineering class or the, the capital letter, I really like that, of course, that you might think it belongs to. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, when you said that, that just gave me goosebumps because it's like, it is a way of thinking, right? So it allows you to think about the world in a different way that includes so many more opportunities for you. So, so um, there's even a, a program at our university called Designing Your Life because it's it's a it's a way to use thinking to design your life and 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 set up pathways and alternatives. So so I know it probably sounds like I'm drinking the Kool Aid, but but it's a real thing. <laughs> so the question is, how do we how do we share this great news, right? I mean, how how do we make a teacher's life simpler? Um, because so one of our goals in our training is to provide methods to align it to Illinois state standards, for example. So, so if a teacher is accomplishing something in her classroom, if I can say, Hey, this design thinking develops this mindset, then, then this is going to help you accomplish your learning objectives. Mm -hmm. So to that then like, Oh, okay. I can help your world and you can also help your students help their work so it, it, it's pretty cool and i know a lot of teachers a lot of education is moving towards those competencies rather than the end goal and design thinking as you said earlier loans itself so well to that because it's it requires discovering the problem oftentimes right. um, and that's the the way in which classrooms are shifting across the nation speaking of those competencies that smooth little transition there <laughs> No. Um, one of the things we are always working to develop in our students, we're always working to develop in ourselves is empathy. Yes. Where do you think empathy comes into this process? How is it important in this work? Well, empathy is, is probably, it's tied for number one in terms of where it stands in human-centered design and design thinking. Empathy is uh, part of the what we call the understand space um, in design thinking. Um, empathy, it, it, to put it another way, it's it's what we call. There, there are many aspects to empathy, but but empathy allows us to see the world through someone else's eyes, or you hear people say to to be in someone else's shoes. So it's that ability to understand not only how others speak or what they say and what they do, but it allows you to understand what they think and what they feel. And by employing empathy, we can start to understand how to design for them. Because if we're only responding to what they say and what they do, we may not be getting to the essence of, of a problem. So empathy is a teachable skill, and it's something that we are hoping we can instill in users of design thinking so that they can begin to relate to others and understand what they need, help them define unmet needs, and, and um, it's critical. And I, I'm going to put a caveat there because it's also very important to know that as a designer, the best way to understand what someone else's thinking and feeling is to include them in the process. Mm -hmm. And this brings you back to 
having them at that table. So there are ways of including individuals that you might be designing for to designing with. And so we talk a lot about co-design and co-teaching. Um, we have to be careful that we don't layer a value system on another group of people. Um, so, so as a person coming to a design problem, it's really critical for me to, and for us to, to understand who we're designing for and what they need. And empathy plays an absolutely key role in that with the knowledge that the best way to know is to include people. So if you can't actually have them at the table with you, then you at least go back and forth with them, you go and get feedback, you interview them, you learn what they think. Um, you, every step of the design process, you invite them and invite their comments. Um, and then you test it with them as well. That difference between designing for and designing with, I think is really important. I just wanted to kind of underline it. I think that's an excellent point and so somatically small um, that it could be easy to gloss over, but I wanted to just put it in a little parenthetical for our users as we move on to the next question as well. Um, you mentioned earlier the design in your life class, and I think that's a really interesting segment of the Siebel Center for Design um, especially in the mind that one of the goals there is to show that design is everywhere. It's not just in products. It's not just in art. Um, you don't need to be a capital D designer to engage with the design process. Uh, we already touched on this a bit, but can you provide some additional examples for our viewers? Well, um, yeah, I, I think that it's, when we hear the word design, we tend to think of typical design professions, right? So we think of industrial design, we think of engineers, we think of architects, landscape architects, um, we think of graphic designers. But what, what we also need to think about is that it isn't just about an object or a place, it can be about an experience. So we, we as designers um, have, under, have begun to understand, because this is a learning process for everyone, is that, that Many of us have input in an experience that up until recently we didn't really understand. So you heard us talk around this word a little while ago about user experience. Um, experience can be about, um, I'm sorry, I was a little distracted with the beeping there. So I'm like, <laughs> I'm sorry about that. I, I was just telling my coworker there seemed to be a, a parade of garbage trucks that just hang out on my street. <laughs> you must be in Chicago. <laughs> Um, so, so anyway, the, the user experience. <laughs> the questions that we ask in in human centered design and design thinking comes back to the how might we and how might we's can be asked in any discipline. So, so it isn't just a discipline um, of making objects or making art. It's about making experiences. It's about solving problems. So you're going to see this kind of activity. In, in social work, you're going to see this kind of activity in culture. And in the case of the life, that's actually in our, our college of LAS. So, so you're going to see this idea of design in many, many forms. Um, again, and, and if you take it away from the product into experience, it changes the way we can look at it. 
that's, I think, a really great, succinct way of saying that we at ISTI were thinking through this question because a lot of the time our students, we try and present STEM to them and try and present it as kind of an, an intersection of different I guess buckets might be the way of saying it. Um, science, tech, engineering, math, oftentimes we think of these as completely separate things. And with the advent of STEM and more to the point STEAM, including the arts in there, um, we've been thinking more critically, we at ISDI and we in the larger educational sphere have been thinking more critically about the way that STEM intersects, the way that it interacts within itself and outside of those categories. And I would love to hear a bit from you both about how design thinking also intersects with STEM or those STEAM ideals. Well, I'll start with that. Um, first of all, you mentioned STEAM, so we included the arts in there too. So it, it really isn't just STEM. But I, I, I really think probably the most critical aspect of that is for design thinking to work well, for human design to work well, we have to have multidisciplines involved. Mm -hmm. So so it's um, not a the best use of our talents to only bring people of similar backgrounds to the table. To, and I say that because I always think of people sitting around the table talking, but we don't do that anymore. We're doing it on a screen. Um, but you get the concept. Um, so in order for us to, to really process any kind of problem, we have to understand all sides of it, all the perspectives that come to it. And, and to do that, you've got to have different disciplines. So in order to really expand the way we think about it, we need to find all those intersections. And probably one of the more exciting things is, is this idea of, for example, using design thinking in social work or mm -hmm. design thinking in education. Because there, we're definitely talking about designing experiences, um, typically experience interventions, and, and if we're creating solutions in that kind of environment, we have to have everybody there, you're right? You've got, to have, you've got to have the engineers, you've got to have the social worker, you have to have the psychologist, you know, so again, it's bringing all of these kinds of things together and, and making it happen. So absolutely um, STEM, it needs to come out of the silo uh, and expand, expand. <laughs> That social work example is great, too, because it emphasizes how we need kind of intersection within people or to acknowledge the intersection within people. Kendra, you mentioned you have a nonprofit background and a, an opera background, and now you're in a design center. And I imagine the skills you gleaned from those first couple of steps are still uh, relevant and come up in your, your working life now as the same way that a social worker with maybe a background or a certificate in uh, human-centered design and the design process would be able to bring those into theirs. Yeah, yeah. that's absolutely right. Um, and and uh, when I first learned about design thinking and, and human-centered design, and and I first, I, I read it as if it were capital D and I said, no, that's not for me. But when I learned about what it was, I recognized that I had been doing that already in building communities and developing audiences for the nonprofit arts organizations that I was, you know, consulting with or working for or, um, you know, or designing programs or designing a service or even just designing a recital that I gave, you know, and thinking about, okay, you know, this song after this song after this song, how is that on your ears? And does that make sense? And does it tell a story? And are people engaged throughout? That's design thinking too, you know? Um, and, it, and it really is just to go back to, I know Gail, you said this earlier, it, it, it's so much more about the mindset and the approach um, 
and, and the tools and the skill set as well. But, you know, it's like once once you open up your mind in that way and start seeing things that way, you can't unsee it um, in my experience. Right. You can't go to the grocery store and think like, oh, did they think about, you know, the 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 shorter person than me using this card or, you know, did, you know, did, did they think about um uh, wearing masks and not being and not being able to open the vegetable bags or you know what's that thought? Mm-hmm. It's, just, it's just sort of um, at least in my experience, uh, it, it just it really changes how you look at things, no matter how directly you apply it um, and in 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 what form. So it's just really cool to see that happen in our students as well. There have been a lot of very interesting. I think human-centered design moments within the pandemic, because obviously we've all been presented with a problem that we may not have been anticipating. Uh, the one that I always think of with, with these things is the young woman who invented the clear mask so that the deaf population could read lips, uh, which is a problem we wouldn't have had to encounter without this new skill set and thinking about the different types of folks who are going to be using masks and how that might affect someone differently than someone else. Um, Well, speaking more broadly about kind of the careers that you can come from or that you can apply human-centered design to, I'd love to zoom in and focus a bit more specifically on careers specific to design thinking or human-centered design. Uh, You mentioned earlier industrial designers, which is a career path I actually just learned about the other day. Are there (laughs) other capital D design paths that come to mind? Uh, Absolutely. engineering in particular right so so there are very and and with your background here in steam or or stem you're very aware of the different types of engineering and the fact that um those types of careers um are definitely looking at using more and more design thinking and human-centered design um graphic design um we have a new degree at the university of illinois called design for responsible innovation um, this is looking at the ethical part of design and, you know, asking the question, do we need this thing? Is this good for humans? Mm-hmm. Um, so, th- so, you know, that gets to be kind of specific. But I also mentioned social work. We see it in ag. We're looking at the humanities. Um, question, you know, uh, it, once you understand that with this kind of foundational understanding of the world around you. It can be applied in many, many, if not all disciplines. I was thinking about this question and I can't think of an area of study that couldn't include design thinking. Um, and, and so there's some really interesting ideas about that, but um, you can, I mean, kids could use it to write a resume, get a summer job. I mean, there's just all kinds of ways to, to use it. Um, Regardless, on top very nicely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> One of the things I, I would mention is is design thinking um, isn't a one size fits all kind of thing. Um, we want to talk a little bit about scale. Um, solving a very simple problem like your grocery list um, isn't the same as solving um, world hunger, right? I mean, so so there's a very. I mean, you can use some of these same techniques. But that you have to remember that's what those are, they're techniques. Um, uh, some of the criticisms that design thinking gets um, involve uh, designers using it as a checkbox. You know, I did this, I did this, I did this, now I've done this wonderful thing. Hmm. Well, there's a, a li- different set of depth we need to go to when we look at very complex problems. So that's certainly some of the research that we're doing now. I think that's so interesting. One of the things that 
flagged for me was the design for responsible innovation. Uh, I think that's a great pathway that universities are still developing, kind of how to be a quote unquote innovator when it's not necessarily a career so much as a skill set. The same way that some might argue English doesn't obviously lend itself to a career so much as a skill set, um, but we're just learning how to teach innovation, how to teach responsible design. Yeah, yeah, it's very exciting. I'm very proud of our university for taking that on. Uh, it'll be interesting to see where it goes. So it's it's, it's cool. <laughs> With that in mind, for some of our younger viewers who might want to be involved, um, I know that the Siebel Center for Design takes on summer interns. Can you talk about the process and how any of our students heading to UIC next year might get involved? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we've run our summer intern program twice now, and we have taken on, I think, between 20 and 30 students for the summer, and they've been with us for eight or nine weeks. Um, they've had a deep dive boot camp into human-centered design and design thinking, and then been able to directly apply it to a variety of projects, as well as courses with partners both inside and outside of campus, which is super cool. Um, it's a really popular program. I think our students have had just a wonderful, wonderful experience so far. And uh, we start kind of early. So at least this past year, I think we had an info session in January, interviews in February, and then made offers in March for a program that started June 1st. And we'll probably follow a similar timeline um, in this next year for 2021. Uh, information will be on our social media at SCD Illinois and also on our website, which is just designcenter.illinois.edu. Very simple um, if you want to keep an eye out. And then other than summer interns, we do have opportunities throughout the school year for interns to come on and work on projects and courses, um, as well as uh, obviously anyone can take our courses. And the, what, my favorite thing about all of this is that our internship program, our courses, all of this, it's open to anyone. So we have incoming freshmen who work with us in the summer and we have fourth year PhD students who work with us in the summer and they get to learn from each other. You know, and the engineers get to learn from the creative writers, from the graphic designers and from the community health majors. And they're all coming together um, to solve complex problems or develop really, really interesting curriculum and things like that. So it's a really, really great program. And um, I'm already looking forward to next year's, to be honest with you. <laughs> well, for any of our viewers who might want to learn more about that, please feel free to drop a question in the comments. I will make sure that you're connected to uh, Kendra and Gail, but also at SCD. Illinois. Illinois, thank you. At SCD Illinois is a phenomenal place to follow, and I know that we already do. Uh, speak, speaking of our kind of partnership, you are currently working on a professional development session for our teachers next month, and I know that we as a team are very excited, and our teachers, once they know, will be very excited as well. Uh, what do you hope that the teachers themselves take away from this session? Well, I'll tell you. Um, I'll start with it. And, and first of all, we use design thinking to design the presentation for your teachers. So, so you know, just to let you know, we do practice what we do or say. Um, so we hope that your teachers come away from our training, maybe with more questions than they had before, because what we want to do is stimulate their thinking about how they might be able to use design thinking and human-centered design in the work. Of course, we want them to understand the process. Um, we want them to be able to use some of the tools we'll be presenting to them. Um, we have a taxonomy that um, really provides a map 
uh, to how to use design thinking, which is um, really helpful. Uh, and, and so we'll be showing and demonstrating that. But what we'll also be doing with um, your teachers is having them try. I mean, we're going to be doing an exercise that will actually allow them to kind of deep, deeply think about design thinking in a very rapid pace. So um, we know they'll take away more than they came with, and we know that they'll take away or come out of it with more questions, but we think they'll have a deeper understanding of what HCD, we call it HCD, human-centered design, and design thinking, or DT, um, actually is. So, you know, it gets to be a mouthful. So we say HCD, DT. Um, they're gonna know about some of the jargon. We're gonna tell them some of the tips. We're gonna give them some, uh, like I say, some tools to use. And we're giving them an opportunity to reflect. And we hope they'll come and join us for some other professional development. Well, speaking of coming away with more questions, for any of our viewers who do have more questions, please again throw those in the comments. Um, thank you so much, Gail and Kendra. We really appreciate it. We loved learning about the Steve Center for Design. Uh, and we're so excited for that professional development session coming up as well. Yay. Yeah, we are too. <laughs> I can't wait till we actually get to do some face to face, right? Yeah, <laughs> one of these days, <laughs> ones. We're looking forward to offering real workshops with real people and real time. So that'll be <laughs> In the meantime, you'll just design for them. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you again to all of our viewers and we will see you again next time. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you.